So hi there, this is Julian and Judy speaking. Uh, we are here at the IAF Talk, the podcast series um, that focuses on various topics around liberalism and economic policy. And today, Judy and I, we will talk about uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, we've just finished a two-week seminar, 12-day seminar here at the IAF that has looked into entrepreneurship with uh, more than 25 participants from all around the world. And um, we'll discuss with you now why entrepreneurship in general matters, what we've learned throughout the seminar about entrepreneurship in specific countries, and then thirdly, also um, around entrepreneurship and what policymakers can do to boost and accelerate entrepreneurship in their respective countries. Um, Before we jump into the content, maybe just very quickly, uh, both on Jyoti and me, um, I uh, work uh, as a manager uh, in the consulting industry. Um, I'm also associated uh, with Utrecht University in the Netherlands, where I work as a researcher. And in both of these jobs, um, I do a lot of work together with startups, but also together with policymakers uh, to boost entrepreneurship. So this is very much a topic I'm very passionate about and very interested in. Thank you, Julian. And good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Jyoti Sachavira Wong. I work with Julian as a co-facilitator on this course on entrepreneurship and open markets here at IAF. I'm a business consultant and I have been working on advising companies on how they can enter a market. I provide advice on marketing and communication strategy. But prior to that, I was fortunate enough to have had spent several years in the Liberal family working with the Friedrich Naaman Foundation office initially in Malaysia, working on women empowerment issues and subsequently moving on to work at the regional level on economic freedom and human rights. And, you know, in my work over the years, I often get questions about how economic freedom impedes on human rights. And It's a very interesting question there because in reality and from my own experience, I actually see them as complementing each other where we've been able to provide economic freedom. It generally leads to very specific, very concrete areas where people actually become more empowered and their rights are more protected. So I strongly believe that they actually work together very well and economic freedom is actually very, very important to support human rights protection. Yeah, and maybe let me just jump on that because uh, I think I very much share what Jyoti just said, but I think another conviction of both of us is that within economic freedom, actually the driving force is entrepreneurship. If you look into... Um, Who is it that actually pushes those great leaps forward? Uh, who is it that really um, accelerates economic growth? Who is it that uh, creates the jobs? Um, it's in fact always um, the entrepreneurs um, that take an economy and sometimes even a society to the to the next level. If you, for instance, look into the United States um, and the number of jobs created um, in the United States in the past 10 years, 70% of those have actually been created by newly founded companies. Um, so both Jody and I, I think, we're very excited about the seminar uh, since, um, yeah, it's about economic freedom, uh, a core topic, but it's also about entrepreneurs as the destructive uh, force and also the 
positive constructive force within these markets um, that yeah push forward uh, progress and oftentimes also along with that uh, liberalism. Yes, exactly, Julian. And since you brought us into the seminar, I thought it might be good to touch on what the seminar is about. So we run this seminar on promoting entrepreneurship and open markets. And it's a very interesting seminar. The reason I say it's interesting is because it combines aspects of, you know, the core concepts, the what we might see as the basic fundamentals, a little bit theoretical, but it extends beyond that. We're not just looking at what concepts or what principles make free market a good policy and good strategy, but we go into very practical experiences, very practical cases and examples of how that exists in countries around the globe. But more specifically, we hear very interesting cases from countries that are represented by our participants in the seminar. And we've had some very, very interesting stories that come out from both the more developing countries and the less developed countries that illustrate how economic freedom and open market is actually supporting not just big businesses or entrepreneurs, but it also supports the everyday citizen of a country, especially those that are less advantaged and need support. Yeah. And just to build on that, um, Judy has mentioned we have participants from a variety of countries, quite different countries. But um, what's again and again striking for me is to see that I think the fundamentals that are needed to unleash entrepreneurship, they're actually quite similar across countries, whereas, of course, the measures, the policy interventions, they may differ. So within the seminar, um, we think of uh, entrepreneurship requiring five building blocks, uh, five blocks that need to be in place uh, for entrepreneurs to really get started uh, with their business, but also scale their business later on. Um, and the first block um, is actually uh, capital, um, and that can be uh, private capital, capital given from business angels, capital uh, provided by venture capital funds. But it can also be, um, and that's something we as liberals are sometimes a bit uncomfortable with, it can of course also be public capital, which even here in Germany actually plays a, a large role. Uh, we had an interesting talk uh, by uh, an expert uh, from a think tank from Cologne, who for instance outlined that actually one third of the startups in Berlin uh, are funded by at least some kind of uh, public venture capital. Mm. Um, so of course, venture capital, uh, capital in, in general, needs to be in place for the capital for the entrepreneur to, to get started. Um, and then second, um, of course, also talent is a core mm. building block. Um, you need the people that are willing to put in the hours, but also the people that have the creativity that's needed and the resilience that's needed, the grit that's needed to push a, a young enterprise forward. Um, and that talent uh, can come from a variety of sources. Oftentimes we see that um, cities that host uh, universities do uh, particularly well when it comes to entrepreneurship. Uh, many students then already throughout their studies or immediately after their studies will go into um, uh, startups um, and uh, or respectively also found their own startups. But of course, um, if you're a buzzing city, um, such as uh, Berlin, for instance, here in Europe or also London, uh, you will also be able to attract then talent from, uh, yeah, 
all of your country or um, also from abroad. Whereas, of course, mm. attracting talent from uh, abroad is um, something uh, that's not always as easy as we as, as liberals would wish. Um, I've worked a lot in the Berlin entrepreneurship scene and I know of many instances, for instance, where uh, yeah, startups tried to get uh, IT staff from the Ukraine, from Nigeria, but then visa policies were a huge obstacle and they needed them immediately, but it could take six or eight months, which mm -hmm. uh, in the lifetime of a startup is a, is a lot of time until these folks would actually be able to, to join the company. So capital, talent, I think two core building blocks. And before I jump into the other building blocks, uh, maybe Jyoti, you also yeah. want to share some reflections on this yeah i want to add that you know when you talked about capital it was quite interesting we as part of the program or the seminar we also go out and visit a few institutions and entrepreneurs and founders of company and one thing that came to mind is we visited a startup doc which is a incubator based at the university in hamburg and they received um, or the startup based in Startup Talk received 2.1 million euro of funding that invested in the startups from the state. This was for one year. And that same year, they were able to then generate 10 million euros of funding from the private sector. So part of what we discuss with our participants is, you know, it's not just whether liberals want state intervention or not. And in some cases, we do feel it may be necessary. But it's also a question of how can we make sure those funds are used efficiently? And that leads us to the conversation that perhaps the things to invest in is more on infrastructural support and the ecosystem rather than simply investing directly in a certain small percentage of company or in individuals and how best those infrastructural support can then lead additional funds from the private sector or attract additional funds from the private sector. Exactly, exactly. So I think that connects nicely with the third building block of a startup ecosystem and the core idea indeed of behind all of these building blocks is that you as a policymaker, you should not pick and choose which companies may be winners and then mm. directly support these companies. But rather, it's about creating the conditions that are conducive to entrepreneurship. Um, and indeed, the third building block, um, Judy has just mentioned our visit at the University of Hamburg, um, is infrastructure. Um, mm. It's physical infrastructure, of course, that you need um, as a startup. In the very early days of your startup, your uh, garage uh, may still suffice. But uh, if it's a startup that um, has some potential, soon you'll need more space. So um, yeah, co-working spaces, incubators, as the one we visited in Hamburg, they're very much core. But what many also forget is, of course, that especially nowadays, um, infrastructure does not just mean physical infrastructure, but there's also a digital um, element to it, digital infrastructure. Um, so how easy, for instance, is it to register your business, to file your taxes? Is that something you can do online? Mm. Um, I think if an entrepreneur is really driven, um, a lack of digital infrastructure will not stop him, even if it's very difficult to register the business. But um, making the digital infrastructure as user-friendly as possible from the perspective of the policymaker certainly helps to free a lot of time for the entrepreneur that this entrepreneur can then invest in growing his or her business. Mm. Thank you for that, Julian. And, you know, the, the introduction of digital platform is 
on one hand, definitely increasing efficiency, but it also forms the basis of another very crucial aspect to let business thrive, and that's good governance. You know, the introduction of having digital platform increases transparency, and it increases access for people so that they can reduce the time needed to deal with bureaucracy. And these are all very, very important factors to make business thrive better, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think a fourth factor, the fourth building block that, of course, also needs to be in place, and this is now a bit more of a softer building block, um, and you've just alluded to it, Jyoti, is networks, right? So mm-hmm. um, you can have all these hard factors in place, human resources, capital infrastructure, but if you as a startup are not well-connected in the scene, um, that means to me well-connected, number one, with other startups that me, you may be able to learn from, But number two, also corporates um, that, for instance, may offer you access to their customer base. Um, And then number three, um, of course, also politicians, policymakers, where you can voice your concerns regarding the development of the startup ecosystem in general. I think if you do not have these connections, um, it'll also be very difficult to get off the ground. Um, And I think there's a variety of entrepreneurs who naturally build these connections, but there are also others, especially actually the ones that come out of university spinoffs that are more focused on their specific product, on their specific business models and not so much on networking. Mm. And I do think that even there, there can be a place for uh, policymakers um, to provide forum, to provide platforms where people can meet, people can mingle, and people can explore possible synergies in the respective endeavors they're pushing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the synergy, very good example. Often these days, startups focus on technology, and it is where the world is heading, certainly. But what we're hearing from a few of the startup founders we've met is, yes, we've got all the technical skill and the knowledge. We understand what we need to do to deliver a solution to a certain problem or a certain situation. But what we don't have is we don't know how to connect to people. We don't know how to bring this product, this wonderful product to the market. And connections and networking is that solution they are then able to connect with people who are marketers, people who are meeting with other people, people who can talk to the everyday consumer, or people who have links to big businesses who may be looking for that solution. For instance, we looked at a company that designed an airplane sensor system for parking airplane. Now, this is one of those things that We didn't know it happens quite frequently, or maybe not so frequently, but it does happen. But it causes a lot of a problem when an airplane parks in the wrong spot and crashes into something. So a small startup developed a sensor system, which is a great product, very precise, but they didn't have the connection to the companies that needed these sensor systems. So the incubator is then able to bring them together. And basically, it's serving the demand and supply equation, putting the people, the solution to where the demand is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I very much agree. And I think that's a fantastic example of a very innovative startup mm. that's also been yeah, created, of course, in an ecosystem that has been conducive to the activities that startup has, has pursued. Um, we discussed 
talent now, we discussed capital now, we discussed infrastructure and also networks as building blocks of the startup ecosystem. Um, I think a fifth ingredient, and that's maybe the fuzziest one, the difficult, most difficult one to catch, is of course also the reputation of that ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? I think nowadays in our globalized world, and we as liberals of course uh, embrace the fact um, that there is such a globalized world, um, startup founders more than ever look onto the world map and say, well, what's actually the best environment I can uh, found my startup in? So reputation as the fifth building block of a startup ecosystem, I think is also quite crucial and mm -hmm. quite core for an ecosystem to take off um, because it really sets off a virtuous circle. If you have the reputation that you're a great ecosystem, and I actually think you'll only have that reputation in the long term if you're great in terms of capital, talent, infrastructure, but also networks, then more and more people will come and uh, you'll create a density of ideas, a density of talent that will then really take off, uh, lead to the takeoff of your startup ecosystem. And I think that's when, uh, yeah, it really gets exciting also for us as liberals to see, um, yeah, how then these startup ecosystems really create a lot of innovations uh, that have a lot of positive impact in terms of jobs, uh, in terms of um, sustainability, mm. etc. Yeah. And, you know, Julian has very nicely listed out the fundamentals of startups for us, and it applies also to other businesses, doesn't it? But the question we often get asked is, so should all of these things be done by the private sector or should they be coming out of the government sector? And in our opinion here is that there certainly is a role for government to play there, but It's a question of where they, they should be involved. And we personally think that it should be about the framework. You know, if you're looking at regulations, for instance, it should be designed to provide framework where businesses can operate freely. And one aspect of that is the enforcement of contracts that is very closely linked to the granting of property rights. Now, as we said earlier, our participants come from various parts of the world and in some of the economies, a situation of property rights is not clear-cut yet or is quite lacking. And that's where, if conditions were improved, then that's something the government can play a role to ensure people have access to property rights. People can then be able to use their property to convert into something productive. They can turn that into collateral to obtain loan so that any business ideas they have can also be used as capital. Because when we talk about entrepreneurs and businesses and startup, we're not just looking at big businesses. We're also talking about an everyday entrepreneur who could be just a one-person sole entrepreneur or a team of two or three running community services for or serving uh, demand and services that's required in their local community. Or they could be looking to expand across borders. Yeah. Um, I think those are great points that I can, I can only endorse. Um, and actually, it... Uh, reminds me um, of a few facts we've also shared throughout the seminar with our participants. And maybe it's mm -hmm. also interesting to put them into this uh, IAF talk. 
Um, Judy and I, we've both, for instance, touched numerous times about uh, on the topic of talent and how crucial it is that uh, you, of course, enable talent, uh, property rights being one fundamental condition for that that Judy just outlined. Um, yeah, maybe just three interesting facts to throw in here um, that um, we looked at together with the participants throughout the seminar. Um, number one, um, there's oftentimes this perception that uh, entrepreneurs um, are actually very young talent in their mm -hmm. early 20s uh, when they found their company. Um, but when you actually look at the data, and that's also a data figure we shared throughout the seminar, you'll see that the average entrepreneur uh, is 40 years old. So yeah. it's someone uh, with a lot of experience, mm. um, and it's someone um, yeah, that um, uses then that experience to, take, uh, to, to, to launch his or her venture. And I, I felt that was a very exciting data point. Yeah. Uh, second data point, which I think... Um, is a bit more troubling, and I think many people will intuitively also um, find that this data point um, maps their own experience, is um, that the number of, number of female entrepreneurs mm -hmm. in most countries is very limited. Um, if you, for instance, look at the Berlin startup ecosystem, uh, there's only 11% female entrepreneurs, 89% male entrepreneurs, and that's, of course, something um, that uh, also, as a liberal, mm -hmm. um, triggers the question of why, right? And why is there not more female entrepreneurs? Well, in fact, uh, the numbers become even more concerning, doesn't it, when you talk about uh, Germany as a country. In Berlin, you mentioned 11%. I understand in the country level, you're looking at only 4% or 5% female entrepreneurs or female startup founders. Yeah. Now, again, we've had questions and comments from our friends from elsewhere that they're looking to Germany or the more developed country that the numbers would be more positive and there would be more role for female entrepreneurs and female startup founders. It's a question that we still want to explore further in terms of how else we can support and make sure that there's a opportunity also for female founders. From what we've been hearing uh, is that female founders are still finding it difficult to get startup funds. And it's not quite clear why that's the case, because they do have the ideas, they do have the right environment, because the one thing about startup and being your own boss is it offers more flexibility. So the, the environment, the conditions actually do support entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs or those with family to still manage the work and life balance there. So the challenge is how to make sure that they are getting the exposure to the investors or the funding that's needed. Yeah, exactly. And maybe just another fact that fits nicely here. The average entrepreneur actually makes uh, less than 50K per year. So it's really not the easy road to uh, to yeah richness and wealth. Um, however, that average entrepreneur oftentimes also works more than 60 hours per week, 70 hours per week. Mm. So those are long hours if you have a family, um, if you uh, have to, or if you want to take care of that family. And I also do think that that's, of course, something that then, uh, yeah, is a even larger obstacles uh, for women in the entrepreneurship space uh, than for men. That being said, of course, I think there's also a variety of examples of very successful female entrepreneurs. And I also mm. think we need to talk more about them because yeah. uh, once those role models are out there, 
um, there will be others that will be inspired by them and that will hopefully follow. And I think another aspect uh, in the entrepreneurship space that's very interesting beyond the female entrepreneurship one we just discussed um, is more generally speaking, what is it actually that you can do to boost entrepreneurship from a liberal perspective? Um, and I think the core guiding principle here should be, as we also outlined throughout the seminar, that um, you as a policymaker, you do as little as possible, but at the same time also as much as necessary. And I think we've had especially some great discussions around this um, with participants from emerging economies where the startup ecosystems are still in the early stage that said, well, most likely in an emerging economy where there's not much startup activity yet, mm. the government will need to play a larger role to kick off the startup ecosystem. Whereas in a very developed economy, the government can be more laid back um, and can just uh, let the market uh, function. Um, and that was something I felt was, um, yeah, among the most interesting discussions we had throughout the seminar. And I also have to say that I yeah, generally do agree that uh, when it comes to startup ecosystems, there may be a role for policymakers, especially in emerging economies, um, a, a more active role in the very beginning to kick off a system and to bring what I called a virtuous circle, to bring this virtuous circle into motion. You know, there is another element to that, isn't it? And this came out from a discussion with participants from various groups over the years that there are often situations where the policymakers and government, regardless of whether they're coming from the more developed countries or the emerging markets, policymakers do realize and recognize that it is indeed better to open up market, but there are certain other political factors that require them to respond to different political stakeholders, which means it's not always feasible or it doesn't allow them to open up market or to implement a more liberal policy. And this includes some so um, social welfare requirements and responding to the needs of their electoral base. Yeah, so I think there is a lot of empirical evidence and a lot of support for the open market. But what that says is we seem to be missing the um, sharing of that or educating the, the general public and the media on the advantages of open market in the medium term and the longer term. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, what I find intriguing these days is that if you look at the public discourse in any country around the world, uh, there's certainly a backlash when it comes to market economies. There's mm -hmm. a lot of criticism within civil society, within the media, and this, of course, also reflects a broader cri criticism within the populace regarding free market economies. Um, what I find surprising, on the other hand, though, is that entrepreneurs as such and entrepreneurship is still a topic that's actually quite hyped. So um, at least here in Europe, but also in the United States, entrepreneurs are celebrated as those advancing the economy, as those helping society. Mm. And that's, of course, to a large extent, very ironic because the entrepreneur, to me, is the fundamental, fundamental embodiment 
of what the free market economy is all about. So what I wonder is if it's possible in this discourse to maybe also stress that point a bit more, mm. that an entrepreneur will only be there in the free market economy and that an entrepreneur is really the embodiment of free market economy and then maybe also give this entire discussion that we're having right now around um, the, the the downsides of the free market economy to give this discussion a more positive spin. I, I think that's a, that's a spin that's very much needed. Yes, Julian, and I think you know very often the criticism is linked to are accusations that businesses would not provide goods that are for public needs, you know, the public goods, education, healthcare, protecting the environment, for instance. But we keep hearing from cases all around the world, in fact, from the more developing countries of how the private businesses and private sector are indeed providing these public goods in a more efficient manner than the state can. You know, the case of education, for instance, there are a lot of examples where the private schools are offering education at a much more efficient cost and higher quality than the state schools can. And there are case studies from India, Pakistan, for instance, that shows this very well. On the environment conservation front, there are cases coming out of Africa where they have used property rights to ensure the protection of wildlife, the protection of environment resources. Um, there are cases from Namibia, for instance. So there are very, very good examples that show that you could still have a model where the state could potentially fund the activity, but the implementation is then left up to the private sector. So this cool voucher system is one of those good illustration. Exactly. And I mean, let me try to tie that point back into also the entrepreneurship discussion we're having, because I very much think that, yes, private education can be so instrumental or is so instrumental for mm. the functioning of the free market in general, but of course also for entrepreneurship. And there's also very many instances where it's private education that's also actually the kind of education that spurs entrepreneurship. Um, mm. In fact, um, the most famous university from an entrepreneurship perspective here in Germany is the WHU. Um, um, it's known to yeah have created Very many startup founders, for instance, Rocket Internet, the Zamba mm -hmm. brothers uh, went to university there. Um, and it's a private setting that um, yeah, really encourages students from day one of their bachelor studies to start considering uh, going into startups, going into entrepreneurship. And um, yeah, I, I do think that um, this type of encouragement uh, would be much less frequently found in uh, public sector settings. Um, of course, oftentimes, uh, because the um, professors that will teach in a public university, um, they will not have the entrepreneurship experience themselves. They may have spent their entire life in academia, whereas in the private sector um, or private sector universities, it's a much more common model to hire um, academics or to hire um, as professors folks who've maybe already launched a company or two who've been in the private sector for 10, 15, 20 years mm -hmm. and who are then very keen to pass on this experience to their students and to inspire their students to also go into entrepreneurship. Yeah. And that takes us back to your earlier point about networking and creating synergies, doesn't it? 
you know, you need to have the information from the industry in order to be able to make sure the education being provided, the mindset that's trying to be shaped and formed fits well with encouraging entrepreneurship, but also that it is responsive to what's happening in the market and what's happening in the industry. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I I can only endorse that. Um yeah, and I think that's uh, that's very much uh, that's very much to the point. Maybe a final question from my side, Jyoti. Mm. Um, since you're from Thailand, and uh, yes. I also remember we had uh, one data point showing that actually uh, among the highest shares of uh, um, self-founded uh, folks we can find in Thailand, um, I think was something around twenty-seven percent. Um, so that's quite intriguing. In Germany, it's less than one percent. And I mm-hmm. would uh, wonder, as my final question, what do you see as the core reasons for the Thai people being so entrepreneurial? Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is a large part of it comes down to what's available as welfare support as well. You know, in Thailand, while we do have some social welfare support, it is not as extensive as what's available here in Germany or in Europe. You, If you're unemployed, you do not want to be waiting for the handout from the state to make sure you can have food every day. So people try every way possible, every creative way possible to make sure that they are earning some money so that they can pay rent, they can buy food. And what's also good there is that the regulations, while in theory, some of the laws and regulation exist, but in practice, there's a lot more room for entrepreneurs to set up business. You know, there's lots of people who are just selling food, street food on the street, and or some of it is just as creative as I have a motorbike and I want to start delivering packages for my neighbors and someone can pay me a fee. You know, that's the model that later became systemized in the ride-sharing business of Uber and Grab and Lyft, for instance, or My Taxi, right? And there are a lot of examples like that. In another example that I think is just so wonderful, and it also shows not just whether an entrepreneur should be allowed to operate as they see fit. But it also shows that no matter how many regulations government try to come up with, creative people will find ways to circumvent it. So at some point, government policymakers need to sit and think, should we in fact be creating more regulations that people will circumvent? Or should we just provide the basic framework for people and business to be able to operate. So my one very good example is in Indonesia, there is certain part of Jakarta where there is restricted entrance for cars without three people in the car. So as you approach the corner of the road, you will see a line of very young people standing there. And as a car approaches, they jump into the car. And basically, they sit the entire length of that road and get off at the other end and make their way back to the starting point. So basically, they earn a little bit of a tip 
from the car owners. And at the same time, the car owners are able to go through that road. It, it ruins the purpose of that particular law and regulation, which is intended or designed to fight traffic jam. But what it says to us is people do find ways that will serve their purpose and the market will operate in the way that it feels it should. So I think, yeah, those were very um, exciting thoughts around how also creativity, of course, is a core ingredient in entrepreneurship and also uh, open markets. Um, I wonder now, looking at the time, Jyoti, how would you... Um, wrap up what we've learned in the past 12 days from our participants, um, but also um, more broadly what we've learned over the past years that we've done this seminar together. Yeah, thanks, Julian. And I think your question is very good there because you highlight what we learn. And, you know, for me, and I'm sure you feel the same, that every time we do these seminars, we feel that we're learning something new every day. We're learning from what's happening in all of these countries all over the world. And what seems to be the common factor that we keep hearing from is the participants are very surprised to hear and see that despite the, the different economic environment in their countries, some come from the developing countries, some come from more advanced economies, but some common factors that they find there is that the more the governments are trying to restrict or what governments see as support, it actually works against allowing companies and businesses and small entrepreneurs to operate and to thrive and to be able to contribute to the economy. So what we keep hearing is we want government to provide the framework, we want them to help enforce contracts, But apart from those basic infrastructure and fundamentals, we as businesses, as, as entrepreneurs, we want to be able to let, allow to operate and let the market forces drive the market. I think those are beautifully word, beautiful words, Jyoti, to uh, close this IAF talk. So thanks a lot for taking the time. And Very much looking forward uh, to the next uh, seminar that we'll do together next year. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thanks, Julian.